We're looking at Genesis 28, uh, beginning in verse 10, and we're going to read down to verse 22. And if you're using a copy of the Church Bible, you'll find this on page 22, I believe. And I know you're going to find it helpful to have your copy of Scripture open and to be reading along with me. Let me just briefly pray for us before we come to the preaching of God's Word. Our God, we are utterly dependent on you sending your Spirit and blessing the ministry of your Word. We have nothing in ourselves We come this morning as poor, needy sinners, needing to see you clearly, needing you to give us eyes to see and ears to hear, opening heaven, as it were, to us and showing us your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would draw near to us, that you would be our prophet, priest, and king, that you'd be our shepherd this morning, that you would lead us and guide us, and that you would do our souls good. We pray that you would make the gospel clear to us and powerful in our souls. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Genesis 28, beginning in verse 10, we are right there in that section where Jacob and Esau have been having uh, tensions and the uh, patriarchal family is quite dysfunctional. And now we read Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. Behold, there was a ladder. And perhaps it would be better for us to think of this as sort of stone steps set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it. And said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in you and in your offspring, literally seed, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you. And we'll keep you wherever you go and we'll bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done for you what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So early, early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in that way that I will go and give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Well, there was a famous 18th century Presbyterian uh, by the name of Samuel Davies. He is affectionately called the Apostle to Virginia. He planted many Presbyterian churches throughout the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, and then he served as the fourth Uh, president of Princeton University, which then was the College of New Jersey. And Samuel Davies, in his memoirs, as he is reflecting on growing up in this church just outside of Philadelphia in the countryside and sitting under the ministry of a man named Samuel Blair, who was one of the great gospel preachers of the 18th century in America, and, and reflecting on the impact 
that being under that ministry and, and coming to know Jesus Christ in that place under the powerful preaching of the gospel, as he was walking by later in life, that church building in the country outside of Philadelphia uh, cried out, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. He was appropriating for himself what Jacob experiences here because he felt in his soul that he had experienced something under the preaching of the gospel that was akin to what Jacob had experienced here in Bethel. Now, this is a new experience for Jacob. Um, So far as we've watched Jacob, he is just twisting and turning and deceiving. There's not much virtue in Jacob. Uh, There's no God consciousness in Jacob. Jacob isn't a devout little boy. He is a deceiving swindler from birth. He has caused all kinds of problems in his family. He has stolen the birthright from his own brother. He has allowed his mother to show partiality to him. He has deceived his own father. Everything we have seen about Jacob to this point is not felicitous. It is not a good picture of Jacob. And then he has this experience, and it's remarkable. And what I want us to consider this morning as we look at this together is two things. One, I want us to consider God's revelation of himself to Jacob, God's sovereign revelation of himself to Jacob, and then the subsequent transformation of Jacob because of that revelation. The revelation and the transformation. We'll notice that um, there is an exodus for Jacob. He has left his family. This is the last time He's going to see his father until just before his father dies. This is the last time he will see Esau for many, many years until he finally meets Esau again, and they have that brief moment of reconciliation. And this is the last time he will see his mother. There are no more Thanksgiving dinners. This is the last time he is leaving. He will be in the home of Laban for many, many years many years away from everything he has known and loved. And so it's fitting that at that moment when he is leaving everything, God comes to him and meets him in this place to reveal himself to Jacob. Now, I want us to consider this. Jacob is suffering the consequences of his sin. Jacob has not done anything to deserve the revelation of God. He hasn't hasn't sought the Lord. Jacob is not out there crying out for the God of his father and his grandfather. Jacob is merely going to get a wife. It's actually the one virtuous thing Jacob has done. His mother sent him off to her brother's house because she so despised the fact that Esau had married daughters of Ishmael, Ishmaelite women. She, she said, please don't do that because it doesn't make for good marriages. So she doesn't even tell him, go and marry a believer because That is what the covenant Lord wants. She says, just don't be like Esau. I want you to have a good marriage. And he goes. He listens to his mother and he goes. He's not seeking the Lord. He's reaping the consequences of his sin. And listen to this. I want to to read this to you. Robert Canlish paints this picture for us as we consider Jacob here. Alone and unattended. Flying from the resentment of his brother, he finds himself so as darkness closes in without house or hut to shelter his weary head. No dwelling is near, no hospitable hand is ready to open the willing door and spread out a welcome couch under the broad roof of the heavenly vault and on the bare earth. 
he lies down, the wide expanse his chamber, and the rough stone his pillow. He has nothing. Um, in a sense, God has stripped him of everything to prepare him for what he needs most. Um, that's so often how the Lord deals with us. He strips us to give us what is better. That's hard. can imagine what went through Jacob's heart and mind as he left the mother he loved and the father he cared about, knowing he may never see them again. He has nowhere to lay his head except on this stone, and yet he is about to experience the great revelation of God. You know, it's interesting. Jacob was a, a planner and a schemer, and God is essentially coming to Jacob and saying, Jacob, I have plans for you. Isn't that awesome? Jacob's been planning and scheming his whole life, and the Lord is about to come and say, I have plans for you, and you're going to learn that my plans are greater than your plans. My ways are greater than your ways. My word is greater than your word. My promises are better than anything. And so the Lord comes to Jacob by means of this staircase. Now, Jacob falls asleep and has this dream, and I think... On one level, we are supposed to understand that God is contrasting uh, in this revelation of himself what the men did at Babel in trying to build a tower to the heavens and what God is doing in letting a stairway down from heaven to reconcile men to himself. He's giving Jacob one of the greatest gospel pictures. We read this morning in John 1 where Nathaniel's sitting under the tree, probably having devotions, probably meditating on the Lord, and Jesus says, I saw you, I was there. I saw you when you were meditating on me. And, and he, he believes. And Jesus says, you're going to see greater things than that. You're going, to see, you're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He's alluding to this. He is the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Um, it's really interesting, isn't it, how often the heavens are flooded with the glory of Jesus throughout the Gospels and, and at his birth when the angels flood the sky and, and they make the great proclamation to the shepherds. They're, they're singing and rejoicing in the heavens because the sun has come. And then every step of his ministry, there are angels actively participating, saying this is the one who has come whether he's being strengthened by the angel in the garden, whether it's the angels at the tomb, the whole of his life is being surrounded by these heavenly messengers as, as a sign that what God showed Jacob so long before was being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's, it's absolutely astonishing. You know, very interesting that uh, I think we're meant to read this and our minds are meant to go back to Eden. Remember, the last time there were angels at gates, they had flaming swords, and they were barring the way back into the presence of God. They were saying, you cannot come in. You've been exiled. There's no way back. And here, God is saying, oh no, I will make a way. I will open the heavens, and I will give you a way back to me through the mediator. I'll give you a way back to glory 
And the angels are there, and they don't have swords. They're rejoicing. They're, they're going up and down. They're, they're looking into the, the great works of redemption. And God is saying to Jacob, before he says anything else, by giving him this vision, he's saying, I am the Redeemer, and I have come to redeem you. And what you need more than anything is an experience in your soul of seeing the redemption that I am going to bring in my son, your offspring, in fulfillment to the covenant promises that I made to your grandfather. You know, it's interesting. God is the initiator here in this revelation. As I noted already, he doesn't, he doesn't wait for people to take an interest in him. Isn't that marvelous? Isn't that wonderful for your soul? That the living and true God who fills the heavens and the earth, who is infinite in glory, doesn't wait for you to take an interest in your own soul. He comes and he says, I will reveal myself. I will show you who I am. I will bring you to myself. I will make a way for you to come back to me and to be reconciled to me. And notice that as God is invading Jacob's consciousness, that's what he's doing. He's, he's, he's giving Jacob a God awareness that he will have for the rest of his life. This experience is meant to propel Jacob on through all the arduous journey, through all the unknown, through all the hardships of life. And I will say this, if you read the rest of Genesis, he has a very difficult life. At the end of his life, Jacob says, few and evil have been the days of my life. Uh, Jacob experiences unbelievable hardship, but God is preparing him by giving him a God awareness that will carry him on through those hardships and trials and uncertainties as he sojourns at the Lord's command. Now, there is another sense, too, where God is telling Jacob that the greatest relationship that he needs to have is the relationship with himself, not with his father or his mother or his brother or with a wife or anything else. He's, he's interrupting Jacob's life and he's saying, I am more important than any other relationship you have. You know, I want to say this morning, the heart of being a Christian is coming to a place where you've said, I need a relationship with the Lord more than anyone else. That's the, that's the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. Uh, Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That, that's it. Jesus said, whoever loves father, mother, son, daughter, wife more than me is not worthy of me. Um, what he teaches Jacob here, he wants us to learn. Um, this was, in many respects, Jacob's Damascus Road experience. Um, he wasn't seeking. God was seeking him. You know, that, that is such a beautiful thought, that the Lord is intent on revealing himself to us. I love the way the Apostle Paul talks about um, his conversion in the book of Galatians. He doesn't talk about the Damascus Road experience and the way we read about it in Acts. He says, when it pleased God to reveal his son in me. Isn't that awesome? When it pleased God to reveal his son in me. Jacob has not been aware of God at all. And Jacob is growing up in the greatest Christian home on the planet. And he doesn't have a clue about this God until he comes to him to reveal himself. Um, you know, Jacob says later on, 
Notice verse 16. Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Um, He's been awakened. He's been converted, presumably. I remember as a young Christian, I was reading... um, I was reading my Bible probably just a couple weeks after I was converted, and, and the Lord had converted me out of a lot of darkness, and um, I'd grown up in a Christian home, and I, I, I didn't know the Lord, and, and I remember reading the parable of uh, the pearl of great price and the treasure in the field, and I remember thinking, Jesus is the treasure in the field, and he's been there the whole time, and I didn't see it. He's been there the whole time, and I couldn't see it. Jacob's saying, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And yet God was intent on revealing himself to Jacob by invading his life, by showing him who he was, by teaching him that his relationship with himself is the most important thing, and by showing him, first and foremost, that he was going to bring redemption. Now, in this revelation to Jacob, God also confirms Jacob's destiny, doesn't he? Notice um, notice verse 13, the Lord stood above it, and the Lord said at the top of the stairway, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give you, and to your offspring, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done for you what I have promised you. Now, the Lord is reiterating the covenant promises that he gave to Abraham. But he's not just doing it to say, hey, Jacob, remember what you're supposed to be remembering. He's telling him, I am the faithful covenant-keeping God. I am going to do what I told you I would do. Take me at my word and know that I will be with you. I will bless the nations. I will bring a redeemer. I will fulfill my promises. And, And it is utterly vital for us to get our minds around how important this is for us, not just for Jacob. Because at the end of the day, the only way I am going to make it to glory is if the Lord is faithful to his covenant promises. And the only way you're going to make it to heaven is if God is faithful to his covenant promises. And if God does what he said he was going to do. The writer of Hebrews makes a huge deal about this when he says about Abraham, when God wanted to make an oath he, and swear by something, he swore by himself. I mean, there's no one greater than God. So he, he swore by himself in blessing, I will bless you. And, and, and then he said he confirmed it with the oath. And, and by two immutable things, unchangeable things, God can't change. He doesn't lie. He keeps his covenant promises. And, and, and remember the cutting of the animals and God saying, if I break my promise, let this malediction fall on me. And, and it does fall on him at the cross. It does. If you want to know if God keeps his promises, you look at Christ crucified. And when you look at Christ crucified, you say, that is the covenant-keeping faithful God who has promised to redeem me. Notice all the I wills. I will, I will, I will. God says, I will. So much of our life, we've got it upside down. We, we turn it 
upside down and we, we think it's all dependent on what I do. And it's not. Actually, none of it's dependent on what I do. Yes, you have to repent and believe, yes. But it's all dependent on what he's done. It's all free grace. It's all free promise. Jacob's a swindler. Jacob doesn't deserve this experience. Jacob doesn't deserve redemption. Sinclair Ferguson says about this passage, there's something so scandalous about grace. It's scandalous to think that God is going to redeem Jacob. It's scandalous to think that he would redeem me by giving his son for me. That's scandalous. That in order to redeem you and me, he gives his son to the cursed death on the cross. Um, it's glorious, but it's, it's scandalous. It's not, it's not normal. It's not right in one sense. It doesn't feel right. It is right. It doesn't feel right. Charles Spurgeon used to say, when I look at the cross, I think, could God love me more than he loves his own son? I think, does God love me more than he loves his own son, that he would give him up for me? Now, notice Jacob is receiving this revelation, the confirmations of God's promises, the confirmation of his destiny, the promises that God's going to bring the Redeemer to bless the nations. And now he begins to experience the transformation. Um, Eric Alexander says, God accepts us in the miserable condition in which he finds us, but he never leaves us in the miserable condition in which he finds us when he comes to redeem us. God invades Jacob's life, not just to redeem him, but to change him. And that transformation now is happening as God reveals himself to Jacob here in this place. Notice Jacob awakes from his sleep. He says, surely the Lord is in this place. I did not know it. He was afraid. He said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And then, it's very interesting, Jacob will actually call God his shepherd. He realizes that the Lord is leading him and guiding him. Um, Before David ever wrote Psalm 23, Jacob said, the Lord is my shepherd. He, he recognizes now that he needs God to guide him and lead him. He's been taking everything into his own hands the whole time. And now he recognizes that the Lord is the one who's going to have to guide him and provide for him and care for him and keep him. Um, you know... All of us want transformation. Um, I've never met someone, no matter how miserable their condition, who said, I want to stay exactly like I am right now. And this is why America is obsessed with health, food stuff, and gyms, and every other transformational thing, because people want to be better. And there is one thing this passage teaches us, that not only begins the transformation process, it animates it, it drives it forward, it sustains it, it increases it, and that is a glimpse of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ crucified. So that the more I see the Son of God as the mediator between God and my sinful soul, as we've heard recently in this church, the more I'm transformed into his image and his likeness. 
um, this has massive implications for all of life. Um, when I think about my sinfulness and my unworthiness and my failures and how I, I wanted to do better and I didn't do better and we turn in on ourselves, we need to look away from ourselves at Christ and we need to see who he is and what he's done. We need to hear the voice of Jesus say, come unto me and rest. We need to go to him. Not, not cleaning ourselves up to go to him, going go to him as filthy and sinful as we are and, and saying, Lord, have mercy on me. I believe that you've taken all my sin on yourself at the cross. I believe that you are the ladder to heaven. Um, you know, it's interesting. God didn't just give this revelation to Jacob for Jacob. And sometimes maybe we falsely look at a passage like this and we think, well, I wish I would have a dream and an experience like that. Well, God wants you to enter into this as you come to the Savior and realize he is revealing himself right now. Um, he is revealing himself right now. Whenever Christ is preached and held up before the eyes of men and women, whenever we come to the table and his body's broken and his blood is shed symbolically in the bread and the wine, God is revealing himself. That's, that's, that's a fuller revelation than even Jacob got. Jacob saw a stairway. We see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we are transformed from one degree of glory to another so that when we sit under the ministry of God's word and we hear the preaching of the gospel and we see the Son risen and reigning, sitting at the right hand of the Father, full of glory, the brightness of the Father's glory, the exact representation of his person, and we know in our souls that he has revealed himself to us and he continues to do so, we can cry out like Samuel Davies did for having sat under those revelations and saying, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. I was thinking about this um, in preparation and was talking to one of my best friends about this passage and I said, what would you say after going over what I wanted to say? about this, and he said, I would remind the people that whenever you sing how sweet and awesome is the place with Christ within the doors, you would realize that you are saying what Jacob was saying at Bethel. How sweet and awful is the place with Christ within the doors. Um, I hope that the Lord will press on our minds and hearts how much we need to see a new glimpse of the glory of Jesus. We get that in his word. We get it by looking at the cross. We get it by meditating on what he's done for us. We get it by being assured of his promises and his covenant faithfulness. I hope that the Lord will give us grace to do that together. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we do pray that you would give us a new revelation of yourself in Jesus Christ. We often feel worn and weary. We um, 
sometimes, maybe often, lack direction. We lack power. We long to know your nearness. We cry out with the psalmist, your nearness is our good. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would draw near to us this morning and throughout this day that we would be able to say, the Lord was in this place and I didn't know it. We pray that you would give us a renewed vision of the glory of heaven and of you as our shepherd, Lord Jesus. We pray that you would work in the souls of each man and woman and boy and girl present here this morning. We pray that you would not leave us unchanged, but that you would change us into the image of Christ, that you would make us to know that you are a shepherd guiding us and leading us, that you would give us grace to rejoice in you and trust you as we need you every second of every moment of every day. We pray, our God, that you would draw near to us now as we continue to worship. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.